Hey, thank, hey, good morning. Good to, good to have you worshiping with us online, wherever you are. And thanks for getting out in the rain. For those of us in the room, it's a great day. It's a good day. And last week, we started a four-week mini-series uh, called Never Alone, where I said we want to have a wedding, this merging, coming together of our series title of uh, Never Alone with the four themes and Sundays of Advent. Last week, we talked about hope and how hope had a cousin named Waiting, and that hope wasn't passive or boring, but it was dynamic and active, and it was, it was life-giving. And so today we're going to talk about peace. And who doesn't want a little peace in this crazy, fast-paced, tumultuous world in which we live? And, and we know that it's, it's promised and it's lived in often, but who can say in the room with integrity and honesty... Christian and non-Christian alike, and watching online, that you've never just been consumed or even had a thought of worry or anxiety or, right? I mean, I'd be shocked if anybody could say honestly that I've never you know, given into in the moment because it's a part of the human condition and it's a part of what the enemy attacks in us is to give us this anxiety and this fear of, of life and in general. So last week we were in Isaiah 7, and today I want us to go to Isaiah 9. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, open up or turn on to Isaiah 9. And if you're not sure what that is, just kind of go to the middle of your Bible and you'll see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation there. So jump into Isaiah 9. But I want to I set the table for a second about the current state of life in America and frankly around the world of, of what anxiety looks like. Uh, lots of studies right now, lots of research, lots of uh, information that's been coming out since the pandemic that's really showing something that was already there that's just actually gotten worse. But in one study of 18 to 25-year-olds, and this is interesting, and I'll just say this as an aside, the oldest generation, the oldest generation among us have the most peace. And it trends down to our, our youngest generation. And there's a reason for it, I believe, and we'll see why here in a moment. But the 18 to 25-year-olds are twice as likely as teens to suffer from anxiety and depression. Uh, in a study of these 700 young adults, half said they had financial worry. Uh, a different ABC News uh, study showed that young adults are experiencing a high level of loneliness. One quote that I thought was, in, was telling was, he said, I think it's a world that seems off the rails to them. And I, and I think that social media, yeah, right? There you go. There's the anxiety <laughs> just dropping right in here. I think social media turbocharged all of this, right? You know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. In, in past generations, if, if you wanted to, you know, learn about something from overseas, it took months uh, in some ways, for the men who were serving in World War II, they'd write a letter back to their love or their kids. You know, it'd take three months to come on a steamer across, right? We had telegrams and all that, but for a letter, it took months. Now, if there's a tsunami over there, if there's a tornado, as in um, um, Nashville last night, this morning, yeah, we hear about it instantly. But here's the problem with that. There's only so much bandwidth emotionally that we have to carry and, uh, news, bad news 
right? Like it's just enough for your own family and friends and church and work or whatever. But when you start dropping in, oh, guess what happened in Myanmar today? <laughs> guess what happened in the, you know, the northernmost province of China today? There was an earthquake or a flood or a fire or wars here and wars there. And you go, we can't handle all that. We weren't built to handle that much bad news. And so social media, whether you're a kid or an adult, turbocharges all of this. But 44% also reported feeling a sense of not mattering to other people. A sense of worth. Loneliness was a problem before the pandemic, but it's, that just made it even worse. And lastly, this girl named Audrey, she's a 21-year-old college student. Uh, she stated that, she said, we have access to more information and connection than ever before, but it's not the same. This is a college kid. It's not the same as having emotional face-to-face -face time. It's just not. That's why a friend on Facebook is not truly a friend in reality. Because if they live in Nebraska and you never actually have coffee with them, come on, right? Versus somebody that you could call tonight if something really tough happens and they're gonna be at your house in five or 10 minutes. Somebody that can walk life with you that is Jesus with skin on for you. So there is an amazing loneliness in our culture now and it's not just out there. It's in the church too. And this is why we say over and over that you've got to find a small group because you can take uh, a large church and if you've got friends, if you've got four friends, that's all it takes. Some things never change from junior high, right? Maybe you have 40 in your DC or 100, whatever. If you've got four friends, a big church can feel like a country church, a small country church because you've got that tight circle that you run with. And, and so between men's groups and women's groups and DCs, if you're struggling with loneliness and you're going to resonate with this message, just know there's, there's, a, re, there's, there's a, a solution. There's hope. And firstly, his name is Jesus. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 9 where it says this. Verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land, and the land of Naphtali. In, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, I just want to stop for a second and give some context. Because typically when we read Isaiah 9 and, uh, and 7, we just blow right through. The virgin gave birth and boom, his name will be called Emmanuel. And the government's going to be on his shoulders. He's the prince of peace. And, but everything is better in Scripture when you have context, right? And so... This is most likely poetry written during war. This is why he's talking about darkness and he's talking about like Zebulun and Naphtali and like this is most likely referring to the Assyrian invasion from the north. Remember, I, it, remember Israel split in half, like they had their own civil war, Israel in the north, Judah in the south and Assyria is this massive war machine that they're gonna come down and the connection there I think that's interesting is Zebulun and Naphtali are places where you find Nazareth first and Capernaum second, where Jesus set up his ministry headquarters. So the darkness that he's speaking to, and remember, prophecy always has an already not yet feel. So he's speaking into the current context, but he's also speaking prophetically way out. And so the people who've walked in darkness, verse two, have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, and on them has, has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they're glad when you, they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You've broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, we've not gotten to verse 6 yet, but I want you to notice all this imagery of nation and weapon and government to come. And yet, so we have this promised peace that's coming. Why do we even need peace? I mean, in, in the big story, in the big narrative, why do we need it? Because because of the fall, right? Remember our, our grid to understand life and reality of creation, fall, redemption, restoration? Creation, how did all this get going? What's, what's the story of fall? Why is it broken, right? Redemption, how do we fix it through Christ? And then restoration, how now should we live? So we, we need peace because peace was shattered. It was destroyed in Genesis 2. And you see the story unfolding. When Adam and Eve chose to rebel against their creator, their father, their maker, shalom was shattered like glass on a floor. And so there's this longing, century after century, for someone to make it right. And that's why Isaiah will say 700 years before he shows up, he'll be called the Prince of Peace. And so there's this already not yet feel, we have peace in Christ, but we're longing for the peace that is to come, like this permanent peace. And what he's speaking of prophetically is not just so that we can all feel good about ourselves after Jesus came. He's speaking prophetically here to the thousand-year reign of Christ in the millennium that Revelation 20 talks about. And so there's this beautiful picture painted of, hey, this is happening now, but on a broader scale, this is what's really happening. For to us, a child is born and to us a son is given. Do you hear the goodness of that statement? Let's just stop there in verse six. A to, to us a child is born and a son is given. Do you see the, hum this is what makes Jesus amazing because he's not just the greatest ruler or philosopher or any of that. There is Jesus presented as God-man. To us a child is born, his humanity. To us is, a son is given, his deity. He came in the flesh. That's what Christmas is all about, the Christ mass, Christ body, right? The incarnation of Jesus. Remember the center of incarnation is carn, carnal, flesh. Incarnation, Christmas simply means God put on flesh. He showed up, but he wasn't just a man. To us, a son was given. You hear it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So there's the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ and bam, you put them together and you've got the God-man. You've got Jesus, the Savior and the Messiah that they long for and that we've longed for and looking back, we see fulfilled. And so the government will be on his shoulder and his name will be called Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah promised, God promised through Isaiah and God delivered and there's this goodness of God that's shown in this. And what I want us to do for the rest of the morning is just sit and soak in this last title of Christ as the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. 
And I want us to jump to Luke 2 where we were last week. And if you've got your Bible open, go there uh, with me if you'd like. Uh, Luke 2, 25. We were talking about an old man named Simeon and an old lady named uh, Anna last week, remember? And they were waiting. They weren't bored in the temple. They Remember, she had been there for decades waiting because waiting and hope have a connection. They're cousins. But we were in a different angle last week in Luke 2. We were looking at the hope they had, the waiting and the hope. Today, we're going to look at a different angle of it. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting, there he is, hoping, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, saying, so again, a stranger comes up and takes their kid. Okay, because he's been waiting a long time. No explanation needed. Just give me the baby. And he says this, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in what? In peace. In shalom. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Remember, shalom is not just the absence of conflict and war. It's the, it's the wholeness and the completeness and the rightness that we can have in him. And so Simeon is, is confessing the, this longing for it. I can just die now. I can go because you've let me have this peace in him. And there's this now waiting between, between two advents, Right? We look back historically to this first advent where we're watching this movie with Simeon and Anna as they see Jesus show up in this like, ah, it's good, I can go, right? And yet there's this longing for this future peace of a kingdom that will never end. You know, you think about administrations, just let's pick America, an administration that you might love and one that you don't love. And, and you're like, if you love, you're like, oh, I wish that guy could be president forever. And if you don't love, you're like, oh gosh, can this just go get over now, right? And as we flip the page into an election year next month, a lot of you are you know, thinking such thoughts. Man, if we can just get a new guy or if we can just keep the guy, depending on your political persuasion. Listen, our hope is not in the White House. Our peace is not in the White House. Our peace is found in Christ and Christ alone, right? And so when we think about kingdoms that come and go, or Queen Elizabeth served 70 years, you know? But she's buried today. There were two generations that lived under that sweet lady's rule over the UK. And they thought it would never end. But it did. Now her son sits on the throne, right? And so kingdoms come and go and come and go. But this government that will be in his shoulder will have no end, the text says later. It's, it's eternal and it's, it's permanent. But what about right now? What about right now? We have peace with God. We're waiting for a kingdom that will be forever. But what about now? Because if you're honest with me again, do you ever have the thought of, 
if I could just get everything organized neatly and everything perfectly situated in my life, I can just breathe. I can feel peace. When I come out on Sunday mornings, this thing is usually a little discombobulated and because I might have a little OCD, I don't know. I have to get things like aligned. This was not here. It was, you know, it's like I can't study on my bed in my bedroom unless my bedroom's clean and organized and then I can get on the bed. I know what you're thinking. Oh, you got OCD. <laughs> That's not the point. Because the point... The point is, I can get everything organized neatly and still not have peace. I can feel better momentarily. So let's take that analogy and bring it into real life. If I can just get every wayward child passionately following Jesus, if I can just get my marriage better, if I can just get my career rocking and rolling, if I can just... I'll have peace. Are those things bad? No. I want my marriage good. I want my kids walking with Jesus and all of that. But if we want all things in life, work and home and friendship, to be perfectly situated and neatly packaged, we're not going to walk in the shalom of Christ that he promises us because it's a supernatural peace that rises above the disconnectedness and the mess of life it's a miracle that's why there's a peace that passes understanding we don't need a transcendent peace if life is always neatly packaged and organized like a perfect pantry that has everything in order right we need a supernatural God who gives us such peace Christy's in Houston for two weeks because of our grandbaby and, and joy helping joy and all that and I'll just make quick confession, I've not slept the same since she's been gone. Why? Because the peace that I feel when I lay down beside her for 36 and a half years is missing right now. I miss my girl. She's right there. She's not there. It's just a pillow, right? Because there are things and situations that we bring into our life that give us a sense of comfort and normalcy and routine and ordinary, but those were never designed to give us the supernatural peace of the Holy Spirit that Isaiah is prophesying about with a Messiah that would show up 700 years later. It's a miracle. So how does this even start for us? Yeah, Jesus showed up. We know that as an historical fact. People that don't believe in Jesus have written that he was here. But how do we know we have peace with him supernaturally in faith? Paul said it this way in Romans 5. He said, we have been justified by faith because of that, or therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a peace with God. And you know, it, it, there were times when I was younger when I would read the passages in the New Testament that said that I was an enemy of the cross and I was an object of wrath. And I was like, man, I was a sinner. And I was like far from God, but I never felt like I was like an, like an enemy of God's. That just sounds so a, you know, rough and abrasive, and, but it was true because my life was in opposition to who he is. And so I was living, even unbeknownst, as a sinner at war with him because I wasn't walking in his grace and his truth and following his word, right? But now that I've been 
justified by his grace, saved by grace through faith, I have peace with him. I'm not at odds with him, right? And neither are you. And if you've never trusted Christ, that's a promise he makes to you that when you place your faith in him and you, you have grace given to you, you're justified and he, there's peace and there's shalom from him. But here's a beautiful truth. It's not just like a principle that gives me the peace. It's not a truth that gives me the peace. It is a person This is why Paul says to the Ephesian church in 2.14, he himself is our peace. Isn't that beautiful? He is our peace. And then in John 16.33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace in the world. You're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So he's honestly showing us it's not just give your life to Jesus and all your problems go away we still live in a fallen world but in the fallen world as we move through it he says I'm with you and as I talk about you know Christy being with me and missing her for these two weeks that's a good gift that God's given me but that's not the same as being in me as intimate, as good as you, your relationship is, if you have a spouse, you're with one another, but you're not in one another spiritually. Christ moved into you by his Holy Spirit, and now, because wherever you go in life, you can have this supernatural peace that doesn't make sense to us. So when he says in Philippians 4, makes a promise, you can see now the supernatural reality of it. Oh, and by the way, first Sunday of January through May, we're going to start a series from the book of Philippians. So if you want to start getting ready, you can get ready. But listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 4 or 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety rolling through the earth. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says something, the first phrase, you're like, well, give me a break. I live, you know, it's just like, I'm just, I get bathed every day in news of war and disaster and climate and fire and all this economy and elections and yeah right they didn't have anything going on like we do there's nothing new under the sun the human condition was the human condition so don't be anxious about anything and he says when you pray about it and we go oh it's such a Sunday school answer no it's not a Sunday school answer as if it's juvenile and it's like a cookie and a little moral principle It is biblical truth. Present your request to God. And then he says, and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. That word for guard is a military, word used for a military sentry, like an MP at a military base. Somebody walks up saying, hey, I just want to walk around and tour the camp. It's like, it's not happening. You need to turn around now. Right? Military, no. And so supernaturally, he says, that's how he works in us. And that's why you can go, I don't know why. I should be totally freaked out right now, but I, I'm, I'm okay. 
I'm okay. Does this make sense? It's because the mystery and the supernatural reality of the living God has protected, is protecting you. Kind of like, I'll just say there's an eye of a hurricane. I'm going to turn it this way so you can see. The eye of a hurricane that's moving through the Atlantic. And you're, you're in the eye. And it's like, I don't know why, but I'm okay. Because out here, there's like 150 mile an hour winds. But for some reason, I feel okay. Why? Because this is true. That we choose to say no to this anxiety, no to this depression and fear and worry and all of this and say, no, I'm not going to allow myself to go there. And he gives us this gift that we pay money for through counselors and medicine, both of which God can use. And they're a blessing when used. Not poo-pooing either one of those. I've never said poo-poo in a sermon. <laughs> but beneath that <laughs> is this supernatural gift that God gives you to go, life is crazy, but I just feel shalom. I want to back up, and I want to ask you to just take off your big boy hat, even, even, even the teens in the room or the kids, but certainly the adults in the room, to take off your, your hat of parent or grandparent or boss or employee, all those things. Because even in your seasoned maturity, you're just a kid to, to, to God. You're a son or you're a daughter that he delights in. And for all of you who have ever comforted a child who's racked with fear and worry and anxiety, I want you to just listen afresh and slowly to these same texts that I read, but I just want to let it wash over you for a moment. And I want to personalize the text, and it will make sense. So I'll say, for those of you who know Christ, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord. And for those of you who don't, you're not a believer, you don't, you've never placed your faith in Christ, but you're listening and you're examining, you're searching. If you'll give your life to Christ, one of the realities that comes from that is that you'll have peace that's supernatural, peace with him. For all of us in the room that know Christ, Ephesians 2 says, he himself is our peace. He is your peace. Jesus said in John 16, I've said these things to you, to you, that in me you might have peace. In this world you have tribulation. You know it well. But take heart. He's overcome this world. And lastly, I want you to hear the great invitation. You know, we talk a lot about the great commandment and the great commission, as we should. But have you ever thought deeply about what we would call the great invitation? It's found in Matthew 11. It's the only time in all of Scripture that Jesus describes his heart. Listen. Come to me, all, you, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, listen, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's the one time. Jesus says, my heart is gentle. And you'll find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me contextualize that just for a moment. I want you to feel the joy in it. Yeah, a yoke was a bar put across two oxen so you could steer them together. But contextually, what it also meant and what it means in text is a rabbi's teaching in Judaism in that time was known as his yoke. And the yoke that all the other rabbis were putting on them was heavy because nobody could do it, including them. Do all these things and you'll find favor and acceptance before God. And everybody's like, I can't do this. I don't know you can't do it, rabbi, whatever. Because no one could keep all of the law. I got good days and bad days and I sin some or a lot all, every day. And it's like, your yoke is heavy because you're telling me if I'll do this, I'll, I'll find life. But every day is Groundhog Day and I fail every day. And so Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you, my teaching upon you. And learn, for my yoke is easy. My teaching is easy? What? No, not in that way. What's, what's, what's not easy is the rabbis who were saying, do all these things, and it was impossible. What Jesus was saying that's easy is, you can't do all those things, I'll do it for you. I'll give my life for you. I will die for your sins. That's what's easy, because it was hard for him. So hear the great invitation this day in this crazy world. Take his yoke, his teaching, the grace that you hear in the gospel upon yourself. What is anxiety anyway? It's this fear and worry about things that you can't control. And I should have brought it. I read this a while back and I forgot to put it in here. But the principle of the research I read was that anxiety is like 90% here in you know, single digits here, that over 90% of what gives us anxiety are about two things, things that we can't control or are not real. Oh, this might happen. Over 90% of the things that you wake up at three in the morning thinking about are things that have not yet happened, but it might, or they're just not even real. And then there's this small portion of things that you really need to focus on and give your life to. And when you, get, you think about that, you're like, Man, how much do I do that? How much do I give into that? The Prince of Peace that Isaiah promised said, I'll have peace with God. And then he says, I can have a peace that passes understanding as I live between first advent and second advent. And you're like, man, what am I doing? The word of anxiety biblically has this sense of being pulled in different directions. So, here are four things that we can do about it. Well, five. First is, put your faith in Christ. Secondly is this. It's a truth that will go to the, the principle. The truth is, Satan lies. Jesus said he's the father of lies. So when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. So, if Satan is a liar, then what do we do? We listen to truth. This is why Paul told the Romans... Renew your minds with truth. Because if you listen to lies this much and listen to truth this much, guess what, guess what are you going to live? You're going to live in anxiety. Well, man, this might happen. This is happening. That might happen. This, this is, oh, gosh. This. And all of a sudden, so renew your mind with truth because Satan's a liar. But Satan also isolates. So what do we need to do? We need to live in community. We need to listen to truth. We need to live in community. Satan loves lone rangers. God built us to live as anything such. 
So are you in a DC? Are you in a men's group, a women's group? Do you have a couple of friends that you can call on in the middle of the night? It doesn't take many, but are you isolated? Because all the technology and all the goodness that we have, everything that built to, you know, save us time, and it isolates more and more. You can just sit in the darkness of home and work the computer, and I can do everything, it feels like, alone. And for the biggest introvert in the room, you can't live that way. Extrovert and introvert alike, we need community. So Satan's a liar. Listen to truth. Satan isolates, so get in community. And thirdly, talk to the Father. That's what Paul said to do in Philippians 4. Talk to the Father. Have a prayer life where you actually unload your concerns. And then lastly, talk to somebody. There was a time in my life as a believer because of a stream of Christianity I was in that said, if you needed to go talk to a counselor, you were losing. Code for, you're a loser. Because you're supposed to be an overcomer in everything. And you could never fail. And I learned along the way, that's a lie. We've got like 16 counselors downstairs in our counseling ministry. And I have learned the value over the years of talking to a trusted counselor. And if you don't like those guys, go find one. Just make sure they love Jesus because there's counseling that's biblical and counseling that's not. But talk to somebody that loves the Lord, has a knowledge of scripture, and is trained in such things to walk with you professionally through that. Because the more isolated you get, the deeper in the hole you get, the easier it is to stay there. And so if you feel yourself sinking, get out of that hole now. Today, let this be the best Christmas ever because you decided to talk to somebody in it. Amen? People pay a lot of money for shalom that is only found fully and deeply in Christ. Amen? Let's, let's talk to the Father about that for a moment. Father, we are so grateful for your presence with us. We bow our hearts and our minds before you and we confess that we're not built to handle all the stuff that we, we walk in and are given and read about. So Father, we ask now, we ask that you would speak to us about our anxiety and things that we hide, things that we have walked in that are isolating us. And friend, if you'll open up your hands in front of you, if you're comfortable doing that, I just want you to imagine handing over the things that are real and the things that are imaginary and lay them at the foot of the Father for a moment and just tell him what you need to tell him about such things, that you give them to him. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for holding on to them. Maybe not. Maybe you just need to ask for the shalom of Christ in the moment, but imagine standing, kneeling before your father and giving him those things as you named them. Go for it, church.
Father, I pray for anyone in this room or watching, worshiping online somewhere in their car or at home that has never found peace with you. And they've tried a lot of things. And I pray now that they would pray with me. Father, I, I understand. I've looked for peace in a lot of places and people. And I get it that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the answer. And I believe that I'm a sinner and that he took my sins. Would you forgive me? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I choose this day to follow you the rest of my life. In Christ's good name. In Christ's good name. Amen.